Hi, I'm Michelle Kelly, editor of Cottage Life Magazine. I'm delighted to welcome you to the Cottage Life Podcast. On this week's episode, we discuss why it's so important to maintain a healthy shoreline at your cottage, including how-to tips on how to make your ribbon of green more welcoming to wildlife. Then, we hear from award-winning food writer Mark Schatzker about why eating all weekend long is an essential part of cottage living. Lastly, we teach you how to live-stake native plants along your shore. It's much easier than you might think. This is the Cottage Life Podcast, where every day is the weekend. Hey, Cottage Coach Adam Holman here. We don't get many summer weekends in Canada, so we need to embrace every single one of them. That means my family and I get outside no matter what. Whether the sky is gray or the wind off the lake is chilly or even when the mosquitoes are biting. But before we head outside, we need a reliable bug repellent. That's where Off Family Care comes in. It's deep-free and easy to apply, and it repels mosquitoes for up to five hours. Plus, its new formula dries on contact, so it doesn't feel oily or greasy. Try it, and you'll have one more great reason to embrace the outdoors every summer weekend. Last spring, we polled fans of Cottage Life to learn more about their feelings on the issues that matter in cottage country. From that survey, we learned something for certain that we'd always known intuitively, that cottagers are very concerned about the health of our lakes. In fact, an astounding 74% of respondents cited lake health as the environmental challenge they are most concerned about. And a further 82% want stricter laws to protect water quality, not just on their lakes, but on other lakes in the province. These numbers will likely come as no surprise to Dan Krauss. He's the National Conservation Biologist with the Nature Conservancy of Canada. He's worked all over cottage country on projects that range from conservation planning to habitat management to climate change adaptation. Dan is joining us on the podcast today to discuss how cottagers can preserve and protect the health of their lakes, specifically through the restoration of a healthy shoreline. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. Thanks, Michelle. Happy to be here. So tell us, why should we care about healthy shorelines? Yeah, our shoreline really is this, this magical place for, for biological diversity. It's the meeting place between land and water. And we have species and different habitats that don't occur anywhere else except where we find that, that meeting place. It also does play a critical role in the health of our, our lakes and our rivers and other waterways. It's the buffer zone between land and water. And what we do on the land can directly affect what happens in the water. And that shoreline area can play a critical role in doing things like absorbing nutrients that might make their way into our, our lakes or reducing sediments. As, a, as an ecologist, though, what I find fascinating is this is really where life happens is in that shoreline area. And it's where you do find both animals that normally occur on the land using that area, uh, but also you'll find aquatic species as well. So it's a place where your kids will catch frogs or where small fish will find refuge. Right. So it's fun for everyone, if you will. <laughs> it, it, it really is this incredibly important and unique ecosystem. And I think sometimes we kind of take it for granted because, you know, we, we 
we do have a lot of lakes in Canada. We have more lakes than every other country on the planet put together. Uh, but from a global perspective, these really are unique ecosystems. And often the places where we, we spend our time in cottage country, when you look at it from a global perspective, like there's very few places on the planet that actually have that unique mixture of, of land and lake and includes these shoreline habitats that are so important for many species of wildlife and for our enjoyment of the, the waters. Yeah. So I guess if you're to take a sunset cruise around uh, a popular cottage lake right now in Canada, you would probably find that there's quite a few lawns, quite a few lawns mowed down straight down to the lake. Um, and, and I guess that's the thing that, you know, as, as a cottager and someone who is um, environmentally aware of this, um, I always encourage cottagers to rethink that decision. So tell us, um, why do you think so many people have lawns down to the lake and even for the people who have them and love them what what should they do to start to move towards a more naturalized shoreline yeah you know certainly some people they they want to bring kind of the the plants and the landscapes that maybe we have in the city with them to the the to the cottage, um, which creates a lot of problems. We, we kind of lose the character of, of these areas and sort of the, the shore and the waters that maybe we even, that's the reason why we go to the cottage. We can start to lose some of those, those values. Lawns can create all kinds of problems. There's certainly a role for them. Um, septic beds, great place to have a little bit of a lawn. You know, there's nothing wrong with a small lawn area, but when we get rid of that shoreline area, that, that magical meeting place between land and water and just replace it with grass that goes right up to the, the water, lose a lot of biological diversity. We lose habitat for a lot of species. We lose some of the, the functions that that shoreline provides. So instead of absorbing nutrients and absorbing and, and holding back sediment, you may actually have more of that going into the water. And also, if you if you have a lake with geese, you're basically putting out a buffet for Canada geese. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that especially lawn areas are exactly what they're they're attracted to. Yeah. Okay. So I just want to focus on one thing specifically that you that you said there, and that is, you know, how a lawn or how um, you know taking away that that meeting place, as you just put it, that magical meeting place, how that actually impacts the lake health, the health of the water, because I don't think that most cottagers make that connection. And I and I want to be clear here too. Um, you know, I never want to be the person pointing fingers because I think so oftentimes people uh, have a lawn because they actually just don't know. They don't know that that there's advantages to having, you know, a, a more naturalized shoreline. So I think this is a really clear advantage as our survey showed. People really care about the lake health. So how does that little ribbon of green make your the water healthier on your lake? Yeah, you know, I, I think you're right. Sometimes, you know, we, we inherit a cottage or we, we buy a cottage and it, it comes with a lawn and we just kind of keep it that way because that's that's the way it's always been. But that that ribbon of green, be it, you know, just even a few meters between the, the, the land and the water uh, can provide an important service in terms of absorbing nutrients. So nutrients that are coming off of, of the land. Um, in, including nutrients that could be from our, coming from our septic system can get intercepted by that that ribbon of green. And mm -hmm. so instead of instead of those nutrients going into the lake and growing algae, you can grow you know swamp milkweed and speckled alder along your shoreline. Um, mm -hmm. So it is really kind of our last best defense against some of those nutrients that are entering our waters. Okay, so for those people who don't know, what's the problem with growing algae in the lake? Well. It can impair uh, the health of our lakes. Uh, algae 
these algae blooms that are, are becoming more common in many lakes. When that algae decomposes, it can pull oxygen out of the water that can affect fish. And obviously, you know, nobody wants to swim in a lake that, that is full of algae. The challenge we have now is not only are we, we losing habitats around lakes uh, and putting more nutrients into them, but with climate change, warmer waters can also lead to, to more algae blooms. So I think with climate change, one of the things that we, we can do is try to reduce nutrients that are going into our lakes and, and our shorelines are one way that we can all, all help with that. Right. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I think not being able to swim in your lake or drink the water or let your dog play in the lake, those are big barriers. I think they really, you know, people make a quick connection to what they're doing and, and how their lake is, is doing. So I think that's, that's a great point to make. So let me quiz you on a couple scenarios here, because I think you just made another great point, which is that sometimes we inherit things at the cottage and they're, it's, it's maybe a little bit harder than just letting the, the, the grass grow more towards the shore or planting some uh, red oyster dogwood. So let me quiz you here. So what if I'm a cottager and I have a cottage that has a retaining wall? What are my steps towards moving to a more naturalized shoreline? Yeah, I mean, it certainly depends a lot on the, on the construction of that retaining wall. One, one thing you can simply do is, is um, allow vegetation to grow around it. In some cases, that could involve planting vegetation. You, you just met, mentioned red oars or dogwood. The wonderful thing that a lot of these shoreline plants, they're adapted to, to grow very, very easily. And plants like dogwood or willow, you can actually just break branches off or cut branches and shove them into the ground. And mm -hmm. they, will, they will grow into shrubs. So it's quite easy to kind of leave that retaining wall there. You don't necessarily need to, to pull it out, uh, but start to naturalize um, and, and get some native plants growing around it. Right. So it's not even the amount of work that you'd have to do ripping it out, because I think that's daunting for a lot of people. It's it's actually just doing less. Once you do that, take that one step of, you know, staking some dogwood, say, then you just let it go. Is that right? You know, this is the wonderful thing about natural landscaping and, and letting nature sort of take its course is it is less work. And, mm -hmm. you know, that time that we spent mowing or weeding or, or weed whacking, you know, we can take that time and, and just enjoy the, the natural setting around the cottage, which is, I think, for a lot of people, what brings them to the to the to our cottage country. Originally, it's a chance to kind of connect with nature and to recharge. Yeah, no, you said it. Exactly. OK, here's another scenario. Say you have a man-made beach, um, you know, the previous owner maybe brought in lots of sand and 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 now you've got a sandy beach where perhaps it really should be rocky and grassy. So what would you do there? You know, I think it is important to find a balance, like a small sandy beach on a lot. There, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we want to be able to enjoy our, our water, but, it, you know, where we do have lawn and then just a big creative sandy beach, there's always opportunities to just leave a bit more room for nature. And this doesn't mean like completely converting your your manicured shoreline into into natural habitats right away. Just start with a small area. And that's certainly something you can do with the beach. It's just, you know, let, let half of it go. Stop maintaining half of it if you have the space for that and just see what see what comes up and, and let nature back into those spaces. Yeah, interesting. I think you've actually just kind of answered the question I wanted to ask you next, but I'm going to put it to you anyway, because I think this is another barrier for people. A lot of cottagers share their property, right? So you might have, um, I might have my family property and I really want a naturalized shoreline. I see the benefits. I, I'm environmentally minded in that way. And my parent perhaps has wants nothing to do with that they want it to look neat and manicured so how do you you know getting buy-in from from everyone who uses the cottage 
it can be a barrier, honestly, in, in this regard. So what would, would be your advice to them? Is that something you've ever faced? Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, the one thing is to start small. You know, as, as I said, you, you don't have to do everything all at once and just a small area of shrubs or just stop mowing and maintaining a small area and, and see what happens. The, the other thing is is to learn these native plants that grow in our shorelines. I mean, so often we, we know the names of these horticultural plants that our parents and our grandparents grew. And these are plants that we brought with us, you know, many, many years ago uh, from other countries. But what concerns me is we're kind of losing this botanical knowledge of the the native plants that occur in our cottage country areas and they're different even in ontario where i'm from the 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 shoreline plants that you'll find on the bruce peninsula are are different than the ones you'll find around algonquin park or on the shores of lake erie getting to know those plants because they all have stories about the pollinators they support or how they reproduce or what their conservation status is and as we kind of get to know these plants and their stories i think then we start to see them in a slightly different way we'd stop seeing them as weeds and start seeing them as as part of the natural landscape um in the in the places where we we spend our time yeah no and i i love that just again it goes back to like you don't have to do anything you know <laughs> to give yourself more time in the hammock and less time you know doing yard work i think that so that's an equation that most cottagers would really enjoy i think um so you mentioned native plants and that's a huge piece of this puzzle so if i'm a cottager and i want to take the next step with um, planting native plants along my shoreline or even just getting to know the native plants that currently um, are near are on my property what do I do? How do I find out what, what's a native plant and what's not? Mm-hmm. So often one of the first steps of naturalizing your cottage shoreline is simply don't do anything. Uh, the plants that grow along the shoreline, they're adapted to, to moving along shorelines, moving in water, be it by seeds or branches that break off from, from shrubs. And if you just leave an area, you'll often be surprised what comes up on its own. I've seen places that were, were lawn and after a year or two, you have things like swamp milkweed, blue flag iris, these wonderful native plants that are, are growing, they're colorful, they're interesting, and they provide important habitat for, for wildlife. To learning the plants, um, that's one thing that technology can help us with. I, I use an app called iNaturalist on my mm-hmm. phone. Uh, mm-hmm. With iNaturalist, you can take a picture of a plant. Um, there's actually uh, artificial intelligence that will help to identify what it is, but it'll also get uploaded so experts can help you to identify what it is. And you can quite quickly find out not just what's growing on your property, uh, but also if you're paddling your lake or you can just look on the phone and, and see, you know, what are some of the native plants that are are showing up? And again, like once you start to learn these stories of these native plants, I think they become, it becomes more personal. Um, and these plants often, you know, they represent cottage country. They don't occur elsewhere. They're sort of our plants and the, the management and the way that we treat our land and the relationship that we have with our shoreline can really sort of determine um, if they're going to thrive in our area or if they're going to get kind of pushed into, into some of the last wild places along the lake shoreline. Right. So uh, another thing um, I, I wanted to, I should have asked you this earlier because I think it's another thing that people um, worry about when they naturalize their shoreline, that having a more natural shoreline will result in more mosquitoes. True or false? Generally false. Certainly you will have more insects. Um, you'll get things like butterflies, other insects coming, but uh, in most cases, this is not where mosquitoes are breeding. 
um, they're breeding in things like clogged eaves troughs or, you know, junk that you have lying around your, your cottage that is, uh, is holding water or in, in, uh, in just other, other wet areas. So mm -hmm. it will have a, a very, very small impact on, on mosquitoes in your area. Cottagers are very worried about mosquitoes, so anything that could potentially uh, shift the balance of where they're coming from and how many there are really, it, it's a big deal. So I'm glad to hear you say that, that it doesn't make a meaningful impact on, uh, on the bugs, on those bugs at least. So is there anything else that you wanted to bring forward today about, about healthy shorelines and, and anything that you wanted cottagers to know as they rethink or think more deeply about the shorelines at their cottages? Well, you know, I, I think as Canadians, like we, we hear a lot about uh, environmental problems that are ha happening elsewhere in the world, be it the decline of the Amazon rainforest uh, or wildlife species like elephants or orangutans are declining. But, you know, th this is something that we can all play a part in is trying to restore and protect these shoreline habitats. And these really are unique and special ecosystems. They, they're important for wildlife, wildlife that lives on the land, but also wildlife that, that is found in our in our lakes. Um, and we can all be sort of keepers of these important habitat types. And by learning more about them and by starting to restore them, even if it's just small, uh, we can improve the health of our, our lakes and, and maybe kind of feel more connected to the, the plants and the places around us. I love that. I love that. And I, I just love to how as a cottager, you know, if you're stressed about the environment and, you know, there's certainly lots to worry about these days, like when are you going to be told, hey, just go just go hang out with your with your family on the deck instead of doing, you know, pulling weeds along the shore um, as as actual as an as a action that you can take to make things better. I think that that's the coolest thing. And so I think that's a fantastic advice you've given us today, Dan, and I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. All right. Thank you. To learn more about maintaining a healthy shoreline, visit cottagelife.com. And stay tuned for more information on this topic later in the episode. When we asked a few of our favorite writers to reflect on the seven deadly sins and the cottage, we knew that longtime contributor and award-winning food writer Mark Schatzker would have a few thoughts about the way we eat at the lake. His essay, Gluttony, appeared in our May 2021 issue and is read by Pedro Mendez. Is there a more embarrassing, vulgar, judgment-inducing piece of kitchen equipment than a deep fryer? Compared to boiling, grilling, steaming, or braising, deep frying is the racist uncle of food preparation. Is it ever okay to own a deep fryer? The answer is yes, at a cottage. Having a deep fryer in the city is tacky and also medically inadvisable, not to mention culinarily lazy. Coating your food in a high-calorie armor of carbs and fat is about as impressive as fishing with dynamite or lighting a campfire with napalm. Yet for reasons that elude me, the rules of socially acceptable kitchen equipment change when that kitchen is perched on the edge of a deep blue lake. Our cottage cooking arsenal also includes an electric Teflon griddle, a smoker, an ice cream maker, an electric rotisserie barbecue attachment, and a sandwich press. It didn't start out this way. For the first decade or two, the point of owning a cottage seemed to be just keeping the thing standing. Staining the pump house, clearing the eaves, chopping wood, and digging out the grey water pit. All punctuated by the seasonal ritual of replacing the foot valve. We ate, of course, but we didn't, you know, eat. 
That began to change in the early 90s, when my father, acting on some new and fabulous impulse, did he see the late-night infomercial for Ron Popeil's 5-in-1 turkey fryer? Purchased the first deep fryer. Between lakeside chores, we found the time to peel, cut, and fry our own French fries. It took around two decades, but eventually the whole point of the cottage changed. It hit me while I was sharing some cottage pics with a friend from California. It's beautiful, he said. What do you do there? I didn't know what to say. We do all sorts of things. Kayak, windsurf, swim, hike, fish. But are any of those things the point of the cottage? You could go to the cottage and do none of those things, and it would still qualify as a trip to the cottage. If a ski chalet is for skiing, what's a cottage for? We eat, I told him. We eat things that one might well eat in the city, but the cottage features a day-to-day density of indulgence that would just be, well, wrong in an urban context. Around the middle of this past July, for example, we found ourselves in the midst of a typical run of culinary greatest hits. One night, we had spare ribs with Caesar salad, and what else? French fries. The day prior, we had grilled octopus with romano beans braised in olive oil, sage, and garlic. Two days prior, I spent 10 hours smoking a beef brisket. But that night, it was spare ribs. I pulled a chunk of meat off the bone, chewed and swallowed, and then looked at my wife and said, So tomorrow night, I was thinking we could do fresh tagliatelle with prosciutto, cream, and peas, and then we could do the chicken pot pie on Thursday, and my brother can bring up some fresh sea bream Friday. There we were, halfway through one dinner, and already we were talking about the next, and the next after that, and the next after that. There is a word for this, one that's even worse than deep fryer. That word is gluttony. The dictionary defines it as habitual excess of eating. Excess of any sort is bad. Habitual badness is worse. And the habitual and excessive eating of delicious food is, well, do we really need to dwell on this? Am I a glutton? The answer, I'm afraid, is yes. Guiltily and unreservedly. But only at the cottage. Hey, Cottage Coach Adam Holman here. Some cottage memories I want to keep forever. Like the proud look on my son's face the first time he hooked a fish. Or keeping him up late so he could see all the stars that we never see back in the city. But if I could forget one thing about the cottage, it would be the swarms of mosquitoes. And that's tough to do when you're covered in itchy reminders of every second you spent in shorts. So to make sure my family and I remember the good stuff, we never forget to use off family care. It repels mosquitoes for up to five hours, and it goes on as a smooth powder instead of an oily, greasy film. So now I can remember the good stuff and forget the mosquitoes. As you heard earlier in this episode, maintaining healthy lakes means maintaining natural shorelines. Help this process along by planting native shrubs along the shore. This will not only stabilize the ground, which is particularly important for cottagers who experience high water, it will also improve lake water quality, and it will make the wildlife a lot happier. It's pretty easy to get shrubs to grow along your shoreline simply by cutting native shrubs already growing on your property and inserting them along the water's edge. This is called live staking. Red oyster dogwood works exceptionally well for this. 
Look for stems that are thicker than your little finger and use hand pruners to snip no more than about one quarter of the healthy stems on each shrub. Cut your selected stems into about 30 or 60 centimeter stakes and then remove any side branches, twigs, or leaves. You should be left with a pretty bare stick. Before replanting, soak the stake bottoms in lake water for about 24 hours. You can just use a bucket for this. Adding a touch of rooting hormone to the water is not strictly necessary, but it helps. You can get synthetic rooting hormone at most garden centers. As for planting your prepared stems, find a spot that would allow the mature shrub to hang over the water. Make 30 centimeter holes spaced about 45 centimeters apart, and then gently hammer the stakes into place, keeping the pointed ends down driving most of each one into the ground. This technique is best done in the fall, and by next spring, you'll see leaves and branches sprouting from most of the stakes, and your shoreline will be a much healthier place. That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe to the Cottage Life Podcast for free wherever you get your podcasts. We'll have new episodes every Thursday throughout the summer just in time for your drive to the lake. This episode is sponsored by our Cottage Life paid subscribers. I want to thank them for making this series possible. For new listeners, I invite you to check out our free email newsletters. Visit cottagelife.com newsletter to sign up. We'd love to hear from you. Post a review or email us at cottagelife.com. To find out more about our magazine, our television shows, and our live events, visit cottagelife.com. This podcast is produced by Catherine Jun and me, Michelle Kelly. I'll see you on the dock.